Okay. We are live. Jeff, it, you got some flack today. Some major flack, well, you might say. Well, I don't know if it was major. I got major flack from one guy. I mean, it's true. But that one guy got you pretty heated. Yeah, and I don't know why. Because at first I didn't feel like I was upset. But the more I sat there and thought about it, the more angry I became. And it wasn't even because of what he said. Like, I disagree with me all day long. I don't really care. But it was the reasoning behind what he said, that I trust the coaches more than I trust a Twitter all-star. First, thank you for referring to me as a Twitter all-star. I'll take that all day. Second, coaches aren't perfect. Just because they're a college football coach does not mean that they're infallible, right? Do they deserve the benefit of the doubt? Of course they do. Do they know more football than I do? Absolutely yes. Do they also get things wrong? Yeah. I mean, hello. We could question scheme. We could question recruiting decisions. We could question all kinds of things. But the minute you say, hey, I think Chaz Ayu is being mismanaged, everybody is really quick to jump and, or, well, this guy was really quick to jump out and say, no, 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 I trust the coaches more than I trust somebody else. Well, here's the thing. I don't trust Ed Lamb. Hard stop. That's it. That's bold. I just don't. I mean, look at, like, even special teams, right? Like, what happened, let's see, it it was the Boise game. BYU fumbles a kickoff return. And then the couple of kickoff returns that they didn't fumble, both against Boise State and the week before against Utah State, I think, and then the week before that against uh, USF, the return game was pretty darn crappy, right? Like everybody has, everybody, I think, has said. It hasn't been great. Yeah, like just fair catch it. Take it at the 25 because that's better than wherever BYU is ending up on average. And the numbers don't lie. All of us with eyes can count. You know, if you could count to 25, you can make the determination that, hey, maybe returning the kickoff is not ending up in a net positive. Just take the fair catch. And yet here we are. We're eight games into the season, and yet BYU's return men insist on running the ball out, and they don't get past the 20-yard line more often than not. And very rarely do they get past the 25-yard line. Well, Ed Lamb is the special teams coordinator. What the hell is he coordinating? Yeah, I don't know with that especially because it really was, I mean, you saw a little bit of burst there with Caleb Christensen, right? And you thought, you know, okay, he's fast. He's one of the fastest guys on the team. He doesn't get a lot of run in the regular rotation, so he should be fresh. Like, if he is your designated return man where he can spend all day in practice, like, that's all what he's working on, I I can see it. But, like, Lopini Katoa is not going to house one. Like he's not no. fast enough to be. Even if he gets past the defense and into like you know past the, the coverage, they're gonna catch him. Yeah, yeah. It's not. I I don't understand that either. But it Saturday was good, and it's weird. I think we're already looking forward, and maybe it's probably because we've done this now. We're two days removed from from the game. And for those of us who are here in the audience, you can uh, raise your hand if, and we'll get to the questions and comments at the end. Um, the let's, let's talk about Saturday. It was a game. It, it was weird. It felt like the other three wins against Pac-12 schools, right? Like it was, it was kind of punchy. Like it was 
it never it felt like we were in control the entire time even though the final score was really close you know the same way like mm-hmm. it was i never had a real doubt that we were going to lose that game even you know after that first well okay that first drive when they just marched down the field i was like oh gosh the defense everything we talked about last week it is it was not taken to heart this is bad and whatever but they settled down they got into a groove they held wazoo below all their averages for the year you know everything was they've you know held a team that's been scoring over 30 a game to under 20 and yes some of that is by design with the pace of play on both offense and defense and what we force the offense to do and what the while we're on defense and then what we do on offense ourselves uh and you know so that takes a couple possessions so that you know takes some points off the board but you know it's you know we really have we played a pretty solid game against a good offense and it's yes, they didn't have any offensive coaches, but they still had their coordinator. He was still their play caller, especially that kind of system, right? It's not super complicated. You're it's kind of like the air raid, right? Where it's like you can take any air raid coordinator and drop them in the week of the game into any air raid team. And they're going to be fine because they, the whole thing is just take what the defense gives you. And it's just like two reads, boom, go. And, what, what they did a fine job, right? And so I would have the offense did enough, right? It was I would have liked to see more from them, right? They obviously, Wazoo they sold out to stop the pass and said, "Hey, they have not been running the ball well the last couple of weeks. We're going to make them run," and we did. And so that was really, you know, that was really good that they. It felt like we saw that offensive line that stepped up and controlled the line of scrimmage was back. And I don't know what happened against Boise Baylor we just got beat I'm willing to throw the Baylor game out because we just straight up got beat whatever but the I don't know where this offensive line that was there getting you know seven eight yards pop in the second half was two weeks ago against Boise when we needed them but it was good that they came back yeah I mean and it took until the second half for them to come back in in the first half uh, Algiers stats are, are kind of a misnomer. I think he finished with 15 carries for 65 yards in the first half. 30 of those came on one run. Like he, he was not putting together a great game in the first half this week. I mean, if you, if you take that, you say 35 yards on 14 carries. I mean, that's, that's what two and a half yards a pop. Uh, so he, he wasn't doing a ton in the first half. The offensive line wasn't getting a ton of push. Something clicked in the second half, and things things changed. And I and I think you could see a noticeable difference in the play calling. And I think that's what clicked. There was a lot more straight line runs from from Tyler Algier. A, a little bit less on the the wide zone, stretch it out and try to get outside. You know the tackles and, and make a guy miss and and hit the home run. And a lot more just hey through the B gap go and just run hard. Whether it's whether it's like a pistol formation where Jaron Hall was in the shotgun, or whether it was Jaron Hall under center in a traditional, or an eye formation or whatever, but like a traditional pro-style type formation, uh, you saw a lot more downhill running in the second half, and that's who Tyler Algier is. And trying to make him something that he's not was, I think, handcuffing him a little bit. So really was excited to see that more than anything. Yeah, and there there was definitely I'd have to go back and rewatch the tally, but the change from running outside zone to inside zone a lot more. And even there were a couple that weren't, you know, straight 
zones where you know we were doing some other things and there were you know we ran counter a couple times we ran duo a couple times like we it went to more of a power run game which really feels like that is our or what should be our offensive identity and what that feels week. like and because to like because against really in all four of those p5 pack 12 blends right like we needed the closeout drive against arizona we went down the field chewed up clock got a field goal put it out of reach same thing against utah we chewed up like six and a half minutes in the fourth quarter same thing against arizona state and then we did the same thing where you know it was third and eight and they said okay we're just gonna run it right up you know we're gonna run a little off tackle but downhill against you power run game and get the first down on third and eight and we know you're not going to stop us and that attitude you know in all of our best games it's the same thing we you know we did that in the second half against utah state to kind of push us out away from that game and it's usf we didn't really have to do anything in the entire second half because it was over at halftime but all of those games right it was we got into a groove and took control of the game around that downhill running and that seems to be what we do best but for some reason for two weeks we got away from that that seems like that is daryl funk style i i I think the stretch zone the wide zone i mean that's that's clearly the jeff grimes offense anybody who's watched baylor this year anybody who watched byu evolve over the three years that grimes was here that is very clearly the jeff grimes wrinkle of this offense that is his bread and butter at the offensive line since he got to BYU. Uh, If you go back and you look at Coach Funk's history at San Diego State and at Michigan, he's a power run type of guy. And I think that what you're seeing is some comfort between Coach Roderick and Coach Funk that Roderick's finally comfortable saying, hey, uh, what do you want in the run game, Funk? It's, it's It's not Funk having to match everything up with Roderick's scheme. I think there's... You're seeing more synergy between an offensive coordinator and his offensive uh, offensive line coach, and that's what we're seeing evolve a little bit. And, and I, I would be hopeful that that continues to evolve throughout the season and then going into next year, BYU only continues to, to build off of that. Yeah, I, I agree. And I hope, I, I hope it is a little more of an involvement of maybe like, hey, realizing that we did get away from this, right? And kind of back to what you said, like coaches aren't, perfect sometimes you outthink yourself um and you try to overcomplicate things and sometimes the best thing the only thing you need to do on offense is just square up with someone and punch them in the mouth right and that's the times when we've done that have been when we've been our best in our season and, and as a defense especially in that front seven when it's happening it's just demoralizing right like we felt what it was like like what we did in the fourth quarter against washington state on those last couple drives to close out the game that was the same thing like that's basically what baylor did us the week before where we knew it was was... coming they couldn't stop it you know it's like it doesn't matter what you do you're just getting hit in the face over and over and over again and you're getting pushed back and they're getting first downs and it's just completely demoralizing to the other team it was good to be on the right side of that for a change because i mean so many times over the years that's been byu who needs to get off the field and uh utah instead runs for you know an 11 minute fourth quarter drive Felt good to be on the right side of that for the first time since I can remember. Well, I mean, yeah, we did do that against that's we did have a drive similar to that, both against Utah this year and against ASU. Um, but it, it really felt though, like after those first, you know, that Utah game and the ASU game, that was kind of like, okay, we're cooking, we've got our groove now. And then we kind of lost our way a little bit. And I don't know. And I mean, 
it's one of those things too where we go back to it, like it's hard to say without knowing what you know what the call was what they saw you know because it's still yes coaches can make mistake we can disagree with them fine but still at the end of the day they've watched you know 20 40 well even they've been watching stuff all in the off season they're watching like by the time they get to any given week every single assistant has probably put in close to 100 hours of film time against that specific opponent and so they know exactly what they or think they you know what they're seeing what they're trying to do i'm sure there was a rhyme and a reason and so it is hard to say without knowing what they were trying to do or what you know kind of there's always that fine line of was it scheme or was it execution and it really feels like with the offensive line it was scheme right because the players didn't change and they it seems like you know on a lot of those wide zones those wide zones we've struggled getting out in space and blocking but if we can just go man up with you we'll push you around and so it, it, i hope we see more of that especially this week against virginia who doesn't have a great defense um and doesn't yes they have the explosive offense uh, but they don't have a great defense and they've had a, most of their games have been shootouts and so it'll be interesting to see what is employed on both sides of the ball there and obviously we'll get more into that on our show on wednesday um but what other thoughts did you have about Saturday's game or what else stuck out to you? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I was, I don't know what to make of this offense. I, the offense, because of the defense, I guess, of the style that the defense plays, that it's boring, right? It's boring football. They catch a ton of flack, and, and some of it I think is, is perfectly well-deserved, and, and some of it is probably a little bit unfair. Some of it is just because you know people can't have a hard time reconciling their, their desire for an up-tempo, fast, crazy, aggressive offense, or defense with what BYU puts out on the field. So the defense catches a ton of flack all the time. The offense deserves some flack, and I don't know where to place it. Because the offensive line played well. Algier played well. Jaron Hall played well. The receivers, they didn't play great, but they didn't really have a ton of opportunities. I mean, I could think of, I guess, Samson had a drop. Uh, if you want to get wild, you could say that Puka had a drop in the end zone, though that would have been a, a really tough catch. I mean, they played fine, and they've played well throughout the year. So I don't know what position group really failed on Saturday. But the offense as a whole, you have to be pretty disappointed with only three touchdowns against that defense. Washington State's defense is not good. And I, I just didn't see a ton from the offense that made me think they could hang in a shootout this week. And I mean, that is concerning because to me, this is the, I mean, really kind of the third straight week that it's been pretty lackluster offense. Um, and I, three games is a trend. I mean, three games is enough that we need to start scratching our heads a little bit and saying, Hey, what is going on and how does it change? I would even say the offense in terms of point production has been fairly lackluster all season, right? Like we had, we beat Arizona 24 to 16. We know Arizona is, that's not great. Beat Mm -hmm. Utah 26 to 17. That's fine. ASU 27, 17. Okay, and then we had, you know, we got up quick, but was a very pedestrian second half against South Florida. And then same thing against, you know, it was tight against Utah State. I think we 
could agree that we would have liked to see mm-hmm. more. It's the thing with this offense is it's it, and we are going to get into this in what in the Wednesday newsletter. Um, is I working on this today? Started looking at it. It's the offense plays the same style of football that the defense plays right now, right? Like it's it's we're going to be methodical, work our way down the field. We'll take a few shots when necessary, but the offense is content at chewing clock. Like even when we have big plays, like this, what we're running is the exact opposite of go fast, go hard, right? Like it's we are. When I actually looked today, so back in 2014. You know, kind of peak, go fast, go hard under uh, Robert and I. That was the furthest back I could find drive data. We averaged 14.9 possessions a game, and this year we're averaging 10.5 possessions a game. Now, the national average has hovered around 12, 12.5 that entire time period. And so we went from being running, you know, going extremely fast through and out to we are going to be very methodical and we are pretty efficient, right? Like it's, you know, in like FEI or whatever on like um and looking at available yards and things like we are pretty efficient at working our way down the field but even when we do move down the fields you'll see it like we are not the team of okay we had a big play let's go run up and run something else fast you know to get after them while they're upset about it like we use most of the play clock every single time we run the ball and that's just the I don't for whatever reason, that is kind of the path that the staff has chosen, which means it's going to be hard to blow out teams just because, I mean, it's only a difference of like two possessions a game. And so if you're only averaging like three points a drive, right, it's like a touchdown. That's not a ton of points, um, right? But it's, you're without that volume, like we're just never going to have the volume to, unless we play perfectly, to have you know, like a, a 50 point explosion. And I, and I don't, I'm sure we'll see it against Idaho state and maybe Georgia Southern. Right. But it's, it's, I don't think that is just the style of game that's going to happen this year. Yeah. And that's frustrating to me because when BYU does go tempo, when they do try to move quickly, they do well. I think Jaron plays well in that type of offense. The one thing that I, that I, it's been three weeks now that we've seen this and it was, I kind of excused it against Boise State because Jaron wasn't quite 100%. But these last two weeks, I'm really confused. I'm confused with the tempo of the game, and I'm confused with why Jaron is being asked to sit in the pocket so much. So let's forget about designed run plays. Forget about that for a minute. Just rollout plays. He's more accurate on the run. There was the one rollout play in the second half that I can remember that he threw a dime to Isaac Rex within like, I think there were four defenders and he threw it into a tight window and it was a beautiful catch by Rex. That's where Jaron has been more accurate throughout the season when he is on the move. That is his strength. I don't know why the play calling hasn't aligned with that strength. The game, I guess the plays that are being called are plays that Baylor Romney would be successful in. And if that's the route that BYU wants to go, if they want that true quarterback sits in the pocket type of offense, I, I don't know why you don't switch to, to Baylor Romney. Now, I'm not calling for a quarterback change because I do believe that Jaron Hall is better than Baylor Romney. Uh, when you look at the stats, right, the one thing that you cannot deny about the stats is that this point, through however many starts Baylor has had, he has, he has yet to play a defense that's worth a damn. He hasn't played anybody good. He's put up great numbers against dog crap, for two years now, three years now. 
But if the play calling is going to be what we've seen over the last couple of weeks, Baylor has to be your guy. I, I just don't get it. I don't get why we're not seeing more of Jaron's legs manifest themselves throughout the flow of a game. And, and I whether think, that's designed runs, rollouts, whatever it is, he doesn't move. He sits in the pocket. That, that seems like a waste of his best attribute. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you we will see more, right? Just because against Boise and Baylor, I mean, more so against Boise, it was you cannot take a hit unnecessarily. We don't have anyone behind you. And then against Baylor, you know, it was okay. Obviously, he had the touchdown run, freed up a little more but it's still not what we would expect, right? I mean, it's he's still on the year right now. He's got 38 carries for 205 yards. A quarter of that came on the one touchdown against, you know, the 56-yarder um, against Baylor. And so it, it, I think a lot of it is the injuries. And so he needs to get kind of unhampered, if you will. Because um, the first, going back to the season, right, it was, let's see, the first few games of the season, Five for 36 against Arizona. That's great. Eight for 92 against Utah. That was where we really felt it. ASU, seven for 38. Obviously, he played the entirety of the ASU game with those cracked ribs because he got hurt in the first half against Utah. And then Boise, we know what happened. Baylor, because of the sacks, he actually only finished with 25 yards, even though he had a 56-yard touchdown. Sacks are not good. He Taking five sacks was not great from him. Um, and the way and then, that college counts that is stupid, too. Oh, of taking it away from your... Yeah. It should tough. be... The, the NFL there should doesn't be, do that. Just count that as net negative yards on the total yards. Yeah, or do yeah do sack yardage as a separate thing from rushing yardage. Uh, and then he had eight carries for 17 yards on Saturday. So, I mean, he I feel like he got the volume of, of touches that we would like to see. Um, and obviously, he still finished completing 75% of his passes. And he got eight carries. I, w- I would like him to be in that eight to 10, maybe 11 or 12, depending on the game, right? That eight to 12 range, I think, is the sweet spot for use your legs, keep it a threat. And, you know, but he is, al- it's almost like he's the opposite of Taysom Hill, right? Like mm-hmm. Taysom, he, you knew he struggled passing. He was definitely a run first quarterback. And every time he dropped back, you were just anticipating him to take off running. And Baylor or Jaron, I think because of his speed and we've seen like there was that play when he juked out like six guys, right? Whatever the one run that he had, that was awesome. Saturday, we expect him to be a running quarterback, but he is a quarterback that can run. And so I think there is some little bit of distance there. And so I think we would like to see it a little bit more where, you know, to at least give him a couple more designed carries. And maybe some of those are right. Like it's, I mean, we did run a lot of outside zones where he would have the option to pull that. We do run a good number of RPOs, and he's just choosing, you know, how much of it is him being told not to do it by the coaches because of his health, how much of it is him choosing not to do it because of his reading, or how much is him, you know, he made the wrong read, and they're talking, you know, there's a lot of different things at play here. But I think even passing-wise, if you go on, on <clears throat> not even passing-wise, just quarterback on the whole, I don't think people realize, like, Jaron Hall right now, according to QBR, which is not passer rating. I know a lot of people use the term QB rating, but in, in referring to passer rating, but in QBR, which is ESPN's measure of how a quarterback performs, and it takes into account, uh, you know, it takes into account their the how good the defense they played, the game situation, like what did they do in big moments when there's a lot of pressure, 
and it takes, and then they also factor out. Um, so for passing in that, they use air yards, not total passing yards, right? So it's obviously like throwing a 50-yard dime is a lot more valuable for a QB to do than, you know, you throw a screen and the running back runs for 50 yards after they catch it, right? And so <laughs> Jaron is number 11 in the country. And so you, if you look at any, I mean, he's ahead of Virginia quarterback, Brendan Armstrong. He's ahead of Baylor quarterback, Gary Bohannon. That's impressive. And so it's, and he's ahead of, you know, Tanner Mordecai at SMU and Sam Howell at UNC. He's ahead of Jaden Daniels, Bo Nix, Desmond Ritter, Spencer Rattler. You know, it's all of those guys are people that are behind him. And he, you look at, and it's just, he is playing really well. And I think we do not appreciate it enough, but I definitely agree that I would like to see his legs a, just a little bit more to really make that defense have to crap themselves just thinking about how they're going to cover him because he does have the I mean he can run and he can like he could be the best rushing quarterback in the country if he wanted to he's that talented running the ball but he doesn't like he is very much a pass like he is a true quarterback that just happens to have an incredible set of legs attached to him and I'd like to see him use those legs a little bit more yeah I mean simple as that uh, on the defensive side of the ball, all, the, the scheme was funny, right? Like it looked a little bit weird, but it was effective. And uh, I, I think it's, I, I think the encouraging thing that I saw was that the scheme was different. Like the formations were different. The play calls were different. Like I could talk about the personnel that was on the field and I have my issues with that. I mean, notably the Chaz IU disaster that, uh, that, that we're seeing unfold. But the scheme, the play calls, that stuff you have to be pleased with because, one, it was effective, but also it, it was different than what BYU normally does. And that is one thing that while, while Tuiaki is not, you know, jumping at, chomping at the bit to start sending pressure on every play and get to the quarterback every play, he does a really good job of tailoring that defense week to week that it, it structurally it stays with what he knows and what he likes to do philosophically, but the wrinkles within the defense change pretty drastically from week to week. And I, I think if you're just casually watching, it looks a lot different, or it looks pretty much the same. But if you really break down the film, I, I think that you see a lot of differences that there, there's some pretty significant changes in the way that a game is called, in the assignments of the defensive linemen, in the way that linebackers are utilized. Uh, in the way that the nickel, you know, what, what the nickel back is going to do, whether they play coverage, whether they help against the run, whatever it is that they're going to do, they're utilized in different ways. I, I think that there's a lot more creativity to this defensive scheme than what, what there is on the surface. Now, that doesn't always equate to effectiveness, right? And it almost never equates to exciting defense. But I think that there's way more creativity that Tuiaki gets credit for. And it was a little bit more visible this week. And I think that that was encouraging to see. Yeah, and I think we will probably see more of the same on defense this week just because with what Virginia does of just wanting to push the ball downfield and spread it out, right? Like we are going to force them into a situation where they do not like to be. That's not what their offensive identity is. Um, And... It 
we're going to see more of that because they do have a lot of athletes and Armstrong does have a really good arm and they're going to want to push the ball downfield. And that's like Virginia is the kind of offense that this T this defense is really perfect and designing for stopping right of, you know, Mm -hmm. they want to, they go pure volume. And if you go volume against this team, they're going to make you like, they're going to make you pay or stuff Mm -hmm. is going to not go your way. And really what you have to do, you know, and it's, when on these teams that go volume, right? If you think of you need to slow them down or what you do, right? It's if they get off to a slow start, if you give them volume, it gives them more like there are more chances for them to regress to the mean of putting up points. And so you got to get after them early and then take away those couple chances and then slow the game down from there. And so I think that's exactly what we'll see. And I, I would not be surprised if we are very deliberate in trying to run the ball and chew clock to prevent them off. Because with these volume core, these, um, whoa, the, I think my, is that, was, was, I, just, was I hearing music in the background there? Yeah. Yes, you were. I asked something happened on Spotify and it switched from the Google home in my daughter's room to playing Ooh. out of here. So it was some, uh, primary music that hey, she listened ha- to tonight it's halloween um, season man it is um so that was a little spooky but you know these volume teams that's how you get against them right is you can't you have to prevent them from regressing to their mean and so it, it will be similar and i i really thought the defense was fine and it's interesting because when we've talked about this before you know the the scheme was different very different this week than what we saw in previous weeks but i don't think most people would tell you that they would still just say like, oh, this is what we do on defense. And there's not, you know, like there's, yep, I, I agree. you know, it's, there's not, I don't know. I wanted, what are your thoughts on the word vanilla? I had this conversation with somebody else today. People use this negatively. And I realized that anytime I've heard anybody say the term like, Oh, the defense was very vanilla. Our scheme was vanilla. I've never heard the term vanilla used with any amount of actual insight. It's just like a, I can't tell what's going on, but I don't like it, so I'm gonna say it's vanilla. Yeah, whether you, I, whether you can actually say right, and especially on defense, because it's like I watch our defense, I can tell that guys are just not making plays, but they're close enough where they should be. But it's you know, it's like I can't tell, and especially on TV, you don't have the all twenty-two. Like you can't tell and say, hey this is what they were trying to do, right? You can tell like on the front seven, maybe, but you can't tell from watching on TV, whether they were running cover two, three, four, six, zero, five, like one, no. like there's, you can't tell anything. And so when people try to say like, Oh, it's a scheme. I, that's, I kind of, I don't take umbrage to it, but it's like, I just kind of ignore it. Yeah, no. And I think that's, that's what I, when I see the word vanilla, that's exactly what I think about. It's the same thing when I hear people say, Oh, the so-and-so experiment needs to end. Like it, if it doesn't work, it's always an experiment that needs to end. Like nobody ever is like, "Oh, that Taysom Hill experiment sure paid off." Like nobody ever says that. Uh, so that's kind of what I think. Like, yeah, it's it's a negative word when people say, when people say, "Oh, the the defense was vanilla." It is. It's kind of funny because it's like, how how can you really tell? Let's just take, say, for example, the BYU is truly only rushing three on every play. The way that the TV broadcast shows, that means there's eight guys, seven, eight guys on the field that you're not even going to see on every play, right? Like, how can you sit there and say what is and isn't vanilla when 
when you're only seeing three out of 11 players on the field. So aside, aside from the fact that you can clearly watch the games and if you stop for two seconds to count that we have not up until yes, this week, we did not like the rush, the whole rush three thing was in very unique, you know, long passing down situations. And I don't know why that will not die. Why people still continue to leech onto the idea that that's all we do every single play. Yeah. I, doesn't make sense to me either. And I, you know, and people, we've talked about this before, Garrett. I think that BYU fans are incredible BYU fans, but but we're not the best BYU, or we're not the best college football fans. This trend is happening across the country, like this whole play coverage trend. Whether you're rushing three or four, but playing more coverage than you are pass rush is becoming much more commonplace, and you're seeing offenses react in a very, I guess, effective way to those uber-aggressive defenses. Look at Virginia's defense, right? Like, Bronco's defense, the same scheme that he runs at Virginia is the same scheme he ran at BYU. That's the defense that so many people long for, that they love how aggressive it was. That defense is shit this year. They are just bad it is 2005 bronco defense yeah i mean it is as bad it's worse than byu's 2014 defense it's as bad as i've seen a bronco mendenhall defense because that's what's happening teams are spreading teams out like quarterbacks are taking three-step drops the read option neutralizes uh some of the pass rush and the the blitz schemes that the defensive coordinators can 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 call Offenses have reacted to that uber-aggressive defense. That's why even guys like Nick Saban have had to adjust. And, and, and Nick Saban still runs that same crazy power defense that, that he's always run, right? But he's had to put way more emphasis on offense than he ever has at Alabama because he's, he knows that his defense, even that Alabama defense that is chock full of five stars and has the best defensive coaches in the country, they're going to give up a lot of points. And if you don't have the Alabama-type athletes and you don't have the horses on offense to where you could confidently say you're going to score 45 points a game, then you have to play a defense that limits chunk plays. That, that, that's what it is. That's what's happening everywhere. And I get it. It's not sexy, and at times it's incredibly frustrating to watch. That opening drive against Washington State, I think I tweeted something out about death by a thousand paper cuts is still death. Like it was a painful drive to watch. But by and large, college football teams aren't going to be able to execute the way Washington State did on that drive for four quarters every game, week in and week out. And that's what Tuiaki does. And Washington State didn't. Most teams didn't. Hell, Boise State beat BYU and they didn't do it either. BYU gifted them three touchdowns. And it's, we well, no, they only scored two. That we gifted them three scores. Uh, I guess a negative touchdown, right? Because we turned it over on the 13 yard line. So right. we gifted them a, a score off of us. But yeah, it's that really is the future. And even, yeah, so pulling this up, looking at um, the, I'm looking at points per drive because obviously Virginia's pace is extremely high this year. Um, in, in terms of the volume that they're going for, but they their defense is 97th in points per drive given up. Uh, and BYU's, I think, were like 70-ish, which is not great. Yeah, so they're 
points per drive on defense, 97th, and we are 69th, 2.28. So even, you know, almost 30 spots is only only counted for by what a quarter of a point per drive. Yeah. So over, you know, the course of a game, you're talking about, you know, that's a, a field goal, a game, depending on how many drives you have. And so really what this philosophy is, is we need to make them chew up time. Eventually they will make mistakes by making them do this. We get them down. If we can keep them to a long field goal, then you're banking on a college kicker who's probably not a good kicker. And if you can flip one touchdown to a field goal that the other guys normally would have, you cover that spread. Like that's really what it boils down to is like, it is a numbers game and you're really like that game of inches, right? When you're talking about, you know, net points per drive of, you know, right now we, we are sitting at 0.34 net points per drive. So the offense is 2.62, defense is 2.28. We're at 0.34 points per drive. If we average 10 drives a game, that's a field goal. Like we should win every game by a field goal. If it like that, and you're looking at that, and that's really what it comes down to every single game, unless you have a blowout where you're just coming out on fire or whatever, really every game, especially in an even matchup where obviously you have those top 10 teams and there's a big drop from, well, even really now these days, you have like the top five and there's a drop from like five to 20. And then from 25, really from like 25 to like 75, that whole yeah. like middle 50 there's just a whole bunch of teams there that on any given day could any of those games could go any way. And it really comes down to like, you need to close out on one more drive than they did and get one more stop than they do. Like, yeah, and that's yeah. how you, and then, and then you end up with a 10 point win. Like that's what it comes down to. And and that's what it is, right? I mean, that's, that's what it is. And I get it. It's weird. It's funny. It's, it's not fun to watch. It's Moneyball. I mean, that's what it is, right? Yeah. Like anybody who has seen Moneyball knows that Brad Pitt playing Billy Bead wanted Scott Hatterberg, aka Star Lord, to play first base. But the A's head coach, what what is his name? He's the guy. He died. I can't remember his name. He was on uh, along Cape Poly anyway. Uh, he, he's insistent on putting Carlos Pena at first because Carlos Pena is a baseball player. Scott Atterberg's not a first baseman. He's a catcher who doesn't have an arm. Well, at the end of the day, the A's play Moneyball, and they ran the analytics, and they were kind of the first team to to bring that into professional sports. This is just analytics, and it's it's hard to watch sometimes, but that's why. Like there, This isn't just some Elisa Tuiaki doesn't know what he's doing. Look at how dumb this scheme is. Like There is a thought process and a ton, like, I wish I wish that every BYU fan could have a 15-minute conversation with Elisa Tuiaki because that man is an intellect. Like, he is incredibly intelligent. He screws with the media. Like, he loves to screw with the media. He thinks that the questions that the media asks are dumb. And, and if you pay attention to all of his interviews, like, you'll catch him where he's just screwing with the media. But get him in a one-on-one -on -one situation, and that man, he, he will convert you on whatever his scheme is. He is an incredibly intelligent football coach, maybe one of the most intelligent football coaches that I've ever, ever interacted with at, at any level, at any school. Uh, he, he's incredibly smart. Now, maybe numbers like the A's, right? They've been running their, their, their scheme, their money ball type scheme for a long time. And they've never won a World Series. And so, so maybe 
the the numbers end up being wrong and you just need the horses to win games in the end, that could be part of it. Absolutely. Like, Tuiaki could still be wrong, but the idea that it's just this boring vanilla scheme because Tuiaki's dumb and doesn't know how to react is crazy. He's one of the smartest men that I've ever, ever had the chance to talk to. Amen. And one last thing before we get out of here, um, as we're about out of time, the tackling. I did look at this a little bit. And if you, before, we did have a week game on Saturday, but it was heading into last week. We were in the top 25 on PFF of tackles in terms of like missed tackles, right? In terms of, and by, sorry, not in terms of missed tackles, but just in terms of tackling percentage of, you know, like our batting average of attempted tackles. We were in the 25 best. Is that what you mean? Yes. Yes. And so we dropped down to like 40. Cause again, it's another stat where it's like, Oh, number 25 is missing like 12 and a half percent. And number 70 is missing like 13 and a half percent or whatever it is. I, that's not the exact number, but like just an example. And so a lot of it too is with defense is similar to why, you know, you can't be uber aggressive is because back in the day, you kind of have things more fairly split or you take your best, like your strongest running, you know, players, put them at running back. And then, you know, a lot of your best, your best athletes, you'd put it corner or safety, but now everyone's putting them at receiver. And so the talent difference between offense and defense is much right now in the era of the game is he needs to get flipped out. You know, it, it is getting like leaning towards the offense. And then on top of that, with these aggressive offenses and kind of what they're doing in space and then how ticky tack they're getting with some of the, like the, per, the pass interference and not letting guys play, it makes it really hard to play defense. And so even though we are frustrated at the quote unquote poor tackling, we're actually ahead of the national, like we are one of the better tackling teams in the country, which was surprising for me because it's, I didn't feel like that. And then as I sat and thought about it, you, you don't, when you passively watch another, like when you watch a BYU player miss a tackle, it makes you really angry. When you watch another tack, even any other game, especially around tackling, you're just like, oh man, missed tackle, probably could have gotten him down there. And then you flip the channel to go to another game. Like you don't spend time thinking about it the same way that we do, right? And so it's, obviously tackling can always improve, right? It's, you know, it's, but it's not like one of those things in Utah say, like the only acceptable number is zero. Missed tackles, like it's not that, right? Like they're going to happen. Guys are going to break tackles. Guys are going to make plays. But that was that was my parting thought for tonight is we are better at tackling. We're in the top half of the country, top third of the country in terms of tackling teams. And that was a surprise to me. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, at the end of the day, uh, we praise Tyler Algier for his ability to force missed tackles. Well, if you look at that on the flip side, that's that's a defense missing a hell of a lot of tackles every game. And that's just one ball carrier for BYU. Missed tackles happen. That's football. Yep. So, Jeff, uh, we will see you on Wednesday. And if you are not a VIP subscriber, hop on to GiveHemHellBrigham.com, sign up. You can go to the discounts page. And there you will see a couple different discounts, including we want to give a shout out to Modern Missionary. Brayden Day is here with us listening live. Uh, he runs the show over there. Uh, they have a very awesome discount that is available for Give Him Hell, Bring Him subscribers. You and I don't get a cut of any of you know this. It's just he 
he's a big supporter of the show. He loves what we're doing. So he wanted to give a shout out, uh, you know, give some money back. So if you are listening to this and you do have a missionary that's getting ready to go, if you go get your son or daughter outfitted in modern missionary, uh, the discount will more than cover the VIP membership for the entire duration of their mission. So keep that in mind. And Jeff, it has been good. Do you have any final parting words for our friends that may be listening with us tonight? Not, I mean, it's only Monday, right? It is Monday night as of this recording, and I am already sick and tired of this love affair for Bronco Mendenhall. Look, I love the guy too. Did great things for BYU. But holy balls. It, he, Kyle Whittingham did great things for BYU when he was a player, but we don't you know, all have kumbayas holding hands love when he comes back to Provo. Sark did some pretty cool things for BYU when he was leading them to the, the Cotton Bowl. But we're not going to hold hands and say how great it is that Sark is, oh, he's gracing us with his presence again. Thank you so much for coming to BYU. Like, I'm just tired of it. Like At the end of the day, Bronco chose to leave. And I, I hope that that resonates with everybody. Like Bronco wasn't fired. He wasn't, like, say what you will about pushed out, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, he wasn't. Like, and, and, and there was no way that he was going to be fired. He chose well, to walk going away. Not, going 9-4 and four every year at BYU is never going to get you fired. Never. He chose to walk away. He had no qualms about, you know, shitting on independence in the way that BYU was at the time. Uh, he had no issues with that whatsoever. I appreciate what, what Bronco did. I do question whether we overstate, and maybe this is a Wednesday topic, I don't know, but here we are. I do question if we overstate the work that Bronco did with the program off the field. Like, obviously, Croton had the program spiraling, but like the big, whatever it was, charges that were levied against five or six different, those were all dropped. You know, like maybe given if Croton had another year, do things continue to get worse or does he make some of the same corrections that like Kalani did, right? Like Kalani had his own mess of honor code issues when he first came to BYU. Francis Bernard was making death threats to to people on on recording. Ula Tolatau was getting arrested. Dil Pau got arrested. Uh, like there were a uh, there were a bunch of issues. But Kalani made the appropriate adjustments, right? And and he had the time to say, okay, you know, get his bearings, figure out what the what the honor code was all about, and and make the appropriate fixes. If Croton has another year, like I think we all have this misconception that if Croton would have stayed through 2005, the downward trend would have continued to spiral. Maybe that's true. But it certainly isn't a foregone conclusion. Like, I think we, we pretend that it is in our minds. So my question for you, Garrett, do we give Bronco maybe too much credit for fixing the off-the-field issues? I think we might. I think I think we might. Um, I mean, I don't know. I think, obviously, he was there, and he should get credit for doing it because Absolutely. he was the guy there at that time. And we're not trying to say that, but it's I've long thought that maybe, you know... Because those 2006, 2007, 2008, those, you know, who recruited Harvey Young? Oh, yeah. Who recruited John Beck? Who recruited uh, Austin Colley? Who recruited Dennis Pitta? Like, you know, it's who recruited Andrew George? You know, all of those guys and the kind of the bulk of that 
you know, and then you look at how hard the schedule was in 2003, how hard the tough the schedule was in 2004. Those were the two toughest schedules of the Mountain West era for BYU. And, you know, kind of take a look at those and then say, I don't think in what we went 500 in, we went 500 in uh, 2005. I think that was totally doable. You kind of settled in as John Beck on your quarterback, as your quarterback. He comes as a senior in 2006. And I don't think winning 10 games in 2006 with Gary Croton at the helm would have been inconceivable. Um, at least offensively, the offensive production would have been fine defensively. Well, even then, if oh, he, he had, had Bronco, stayed, he had Bronco. And so right. the defense, yeah, if, I'm saying if, if Bronco was completely removed, I was thinking, sure, you know, sure. but yeah, I don't know that it, that that's how different that stretch would have been. Um, and, but then also, I mean, I was like, and when Croton got fired when I was in eighth grade and yeah, I don't, that's true. you know, I, you know, he got fired when I was in eighth grade and I don't exactly know what the inner workings and what the locker room was like, like the locker room may have totally been lost and he definitely needed someone else. Um, that's, but it's, that's fair. I just wonder if we give, I, I, I appreciate what Bronco did and 10 years is a really long time to be the head coach of BYU football. Really, really long time. Uh, Kalani's knocking on that door, right? He's already at six. Like this, he's been here almost as long. He's he's coming up on Bronco length. I I just wonder if we we give Bronco too much credit. Uh, I appreciated the comments of the players today. Like the media was really, really looking hard to come up with that Bronco storyline with each of these guys that were were being interviewed that had previously been recorded, uh, recruited rather by Bronco. Uh, and, and all of those guys were like, "Yeah, I, I hope he gets a standing ovation," and that's all. Like they they don't care. I loved Neil Pau. Like he, there, there's clearly no love lost there. Um, if people don't remember, Bronco pulled Pau's scholarship after accepting his commitment in 2014. When when Pau graduated high school, he pulled the scholarship, and uh, Pau was pretty fired up in the presser today. I loved it. I loved it. So just don't forget, folks. The Bronco is public enemy number one this week. The mission is to destroy Bronco. Like, that's what, what BYU's coaching staff is focusing on. That's what they're trying to do this week. That's what everything is about, is beating Bronco. Don't let the nostalgia of, of 10 years ago distract you from that mission. Like, give him your, his warm welcome. But then he's just another head coach, and you can hate him just like anybody else. We don't we don't give Whittingham a warm welcome for being an all whack linebacker in his right. playing days, right? It's the ship sailed. We could be appreciative for what he did in his time, but when he sets foot on the field, Bronco is the enemy, and we need to not forget that. Um, so, Jeff, we will be back on Wednesday night, and until then, give him hell. Give him hell.